Hi, everybody. Welcome again to the Apple Store Soho. Thanks for coming by. We're about to get underway. Um, first, now you're all excited. We're going to show you, enjoy, the trailer to Knowing in just a few moments. Please welcome our moderator for this evening from MTV News, Mr. Josh Horowitz. Let's hear it from him. Welcome, Josh. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for coming out tonight. Um, so the folks at, at Summit asked me a while back if I was interested in moderating this panel tonight. When they mentioned the name Alex Proyas, it was a pretty quick yes from me, because I don't know if uh, you're like me, but ever since The Crow, it's the first film I saw of his, I found his work dark, haunting, thrilling. And by the time I saw Dark City, I was officially on the Alex Proyas bandwagon. Uh, since then, he's made uh, films like Garage Days and iRobot. His latest film, as you just saw, another creepy, dark, haunting, mesmerizing film, Knowing. Please give it up for Alex Proyas. I think so. How are you? How are you? Have a seat, sir. So, I want to first, I got a chance to see the film last week, so I want to thank you first for uh, creating more haunting imagery that will uh, invade my dreams for some time. Thanks for You're that. Welcome. It's kind of rude. Um, you know, clearly an interesting premise here that we haven't seen depicted in filmmaking before. I know this has been a project that's been in development for a number of years. Can you tell me what the germ of the idea was that intrigued you from the start that earned your time in developing this? Um, I sort of came across this, this spec script that was written uh, many years ago and it has been floating around Hollywood ever since and a few people have tried to make it and uh, it just kind of jumped out as something that had a really unique quality to it, you know. And of course then I took it on board and kind of pushed it into this whole other direction uh, and hopefully didn't mess it up too much, you know. I mean, I'm always curious about the, the, the mysterious development process in Hollywood. Um, and when you say push it in another direction, could you, can you speak a little bit to sort of what, what you found, what you came into, uh, where knowing was at the time, and what you thought needed to work? What needed to change for it to, uh, to merit your directorial stamp? Well, it's very unusual that, that um, you get a script that is completely fully formed and exactly a movie you want to dedicate several years of your life to. You know, it's, it's unusual for me anyway. Other people probably are luckier than I am, but I, I'm lucky if I get a, if I find something that has just a sort of, uh, a sort of a starting stepping off point, you know, and then I can take it and, and evolve it. And, you know, for me, the, the ideas behind something are really important. I sort of want to want something that's really textural and has a lot of layers of meaning to it for it to sort of be something that I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by. So it's like working that all through the story, you know. So this was, the, the original story, the original script for this film was more of a supernatural story. And it's not, that's not really my cup of tea. I'm more into science fiction and uh, I like the, the boundaries that that genre creates. So I sort of pushed it more into that sort of area, you know. You know, you mentioned the sci-fi genre. And this is, it's an intriguing kind of mix of genres. It plays as a thriller. It's really a, a, a father-son tale too. Um, t can you talk to me a little bit about sort of how you put those different genres kind of in the Cuisinart and come out with what we have today and, and the, the, the difficulties in that? 
Yeah, um, I mean, it's. I think because science fiction is always about ideas, uh, for me anyway, um, it doesn't. That doesn't necessarily fit really well with movies all the time, you know, because movies are, are kind of uh, more about emotions, I suppose, and uh, so it's trying to balance those two things. And with this, with this film, and it's hard to tell from the trailers because that, that actually the trailer that you guys just saw is like the first teaser that we cut, literally the week after we'd finished shooting. So it's actually probably the least indicative thing you'd ever see of the movie. Um, and there's actually later ones that are closer to the sort of the right tone of the film. That was just really to sort of get people intrigued, you know. Um, so so the, the whole thing was for me, the, one of the reasons I like the story is because it's about, it's a father and son relationship, that's the core of it. And it's sort of ostensibly a disaster movie genre, I suppose, you know, but I was just kind of knee-jerking against that genre more than going with it. I was trying to turn it into something that, that was a bit bigger than that, you know. And, and so it kind of starts off on that strand, but the, I think the humanity of it kind of drives it into this sort of new direction, and there's a lot of surprises in the film, which, which I think are kind of, you know, spit, spin the genre in a different way for people, I hope. That actually uh, I found to be one of the joys of the film because there actually hasn't been a lot. I mean, the trailer's been out there and, and uh, your stars are starting to talk about the film, but the trailer leaves you with a lot of questions as to sort of the nature of the film and, and the source of this mystery. And indeed, when you're seeing the film, to its credit, it's quite unpredictable. You're not really sure what turns it's going to take. And in fact, by the end, there are some major plot points people are going to be talking about on the way out of the theater. That has to be something you take pride in as a filmmaker to kind of play with uh, assumptions and, and know that you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're the puppet master of an audience. Is that, is, is that fair to say? Well, well I, I think it's fun actually to, to, to take a genre and then kind of do something unexpected with it because genre is kind of like this package for a movie, you know, and it's kind of the, it's, it's the, it's the, the hook that gets you in or it kind of gives you an impression of the experience you're going to get. And then for me, it's like, because I, I really like movies and I've seen a lot of movies, you know, and I keep watching a lot of movies. And uh, I, I guess I, for me, I sort of don't see the point of retreading something that's already been done. And I guess it's sort of nice to take it and take it into this unexpected direction, you know. So, but sort of, you know, I mean, in this film, I've sort of tried to do it in a very inviting way. I haven't sort of sledgehammered people over the head with it. I've tried to make it kind of a gentle diversion on this road. Right this journey that everyone is going on so that by the time you get to this new place you sort of look around and go oh well i wasn't expecting that but this is kind of interesting where i am you know so that then, was again, then again you have to know when nicholas cage is your leading man that some unorthodox things are afoot this guy i mean nick's career unlike any other leading man this is a guy that you know literally went from like leaving las vegas to con air i think like this is a guy that takes chances which is awesome um on a scale of one to ten, though, how crazy is Nick Cage? I mean, we all know he's kind of crazy in a wonderful way. <laughs> I, I didn't find Nick crazy at all, I have to say, but maybe that says something about me. I don't know. I think we're we're both equally crazy in the same way. Um, but uh, you know, he's uh, he's a wonderful guy. He's actually a really cool guy to to, to hang out with, you know. And and I, I really enjoyed the the process of making the movie, you know. And the thing about Nick is he's he's an experimenter. You know, he t he takes chances. And every time he takes on a role, he really goes for the, the spirit of that particular role and movie, you know, and he's very true to that, you know. And I think that's why he has such an incredible variety of styles of films and performances that he's given.
you know, when, I, when I interviewed him about this film over the weekend, he was talking about sort, sort of like every role, he doesn't want to be comfortable in it. He wants to take chances and be on that line between whether he's royally screwing it up or nailing it. Were there, were there unorthodox choices that he wrought to this character that maybe weren't on the page, things that surprised you about what he did? Um, you know, it, I, I see that with Nick in terms of wanting to be on the edge, and, and I, sort, I think that's why we got along well, because I'm, I sort of feel the same way about what I'm doing, is I, is I want something that's, that's challenging me and, and, it, and is trying some kind of unorthodox and, and extreme ideas out on, on films, you know? And, and so I think that's why we, we got along well, you know. But I'm um, sorry, the other part of your question was... Um, uh, I think I'm back to, was Nick Cage crazy or not? Uh, right. Oh, the, the unorthodox choices that he made in this. Was that oh, in the movie. That he surprised you, yeah. That yeah, no, no. I mean, I, was, I felt very, very good about what Nick was doing. I just, um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the character and talking about the, the ideas in the film and the philosophy behind the film. And we were really on the same page with it. And so... It was really an enjoyable thing to see what he did with the performance on a daily basis and see what he was coming up with. But, but I can't say it, it all felt right. You know, I can't say that there was something where I was completely thrown a curveball. You know, um, we just felt very much in sync together. You know, on on, the, on in the making of the film. I'm always curious about this when I'm looking when I'm talking to a filmmaker, looking at their body of work, whether you yourself see through lines in your career. Because it, I mean, it occurred to me one of the things when I saw this film some themes that recur from Dark City, from iRobot, um, kind of free will versus whether your life is predetermined. Um, you know, those two films deal with it. This obviously is about, you know, predictions that are mysteriously made that are in, a, in this time capsule and whether you really have control over the future, over your life and others' lives. Is that something that's occurred to you? Is that just one of these bizarre things people like me notice? as you're looking over a body of work? I've kind of noticed it. It's not, it's not that I go out looking for projects that have those things. Those things kind of evolve, you know, through the making of films. But I can see all those things. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't really go back and look at my old films very much. Um, I, in fact, never do that. The only time I've done it recently is uh, I did uh, this film, Dark City, and, and we did a director's cut. And I, and I hadn't seen the movie for 10 years. And so actually going back and, and re and putting it back, putting all the pieces that we were cut out back in, I did actually see a lot of things in it for the first time almost, you know. And I can see the themes and ideas kind of recurring. And I think it's just what, as a, as a person, what you're personally interested in, you kind of put into your movies. And, and I, really, I really, I mean, that's one thing that I am very conscious of is that I believe movies should be a single person's voice, you know. And, I, and I'm very conscious of trying to do that within the sort of Hollywood mainstream, which is sometimes really hard to do, you know, and sometimes people don't want you to do that. Um, but I think that's really important. I think that's what gives films their, their sort of life force, you know. We're going to take a look at a clip in a second. First, first I want to ask you, though, um, was this your first film that you shot in digital? Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So, and you use the, the red one uh, camera. This is yeah. something that I know, like correct. Soderbergh gloves. And, yeah. Uh, so can you talk to me a little bit about the experience of shooting in digital with this camera and what difference <coughs> it made in the process? Yeah, it's, it's a great camera, actually. I really enjoyed that um, process. And um, I, got, I got into it because every, every movie I've done, the last two movies I've done, I've tested the digital gear and then gone back to film because I haven't really been satisfied with it. And I'm a real film guy. I'm like, I'm, I'm a hardcore film person you know and I really like that 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 form but um this new camera has just got a really it's got a really great look to it it's a very kind of fluid look that doesn't feel digital to me 
except that there's sort of no grain in the in the image. And I just I just really got off on it, you know. And, and we did a lot of tests. I saw this little short film that Peter Jackson did with the first prototype camera that kind of got me halfway there. And then we did a bunch of our own tests. And uh, I was I'm a total convert now. I'm not going to I'll stick with digital. I think you'll never go back. I don't think so. No, it just makes things so much easier to to do that I think it's uh, it's definitely the way to forward. You know. But you're a fan of. of digital almost mimicking and doing better what film can do as opposed to say like you know Michael Mann's recent work you can tell there's a treatment to it it's 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 got the grain that you're talking about are you a fan of that kind of look or I think everything just should serve the story I mean I think I, I change the look depending on what the film needs you know um, I just like clarity I like being able to feel like I'm looking at a real thing rather than some something with the grain over the top of it you know I'm not a big fan of like smeary video you know, smeary digital and grainy digital, noisy digital, you know. I like, I like something to be clear, you know. So if, the, if whatever technique I'm using, whatever technology I'm using can give me that effect, that look, then I'm, I'll go with it, you know. So we're going to take some questions soon from you guys, so please prepare them. But uh, in the meantime, we've got a, uh, a really cool clip from uh, about the midpoint of the film towards the latter point. Uh, here we go. This is a really amazing sequence. Check it out. The, the whole motto of that scene is don't pirate DVDs. <laughs> just a sweet romantic comedy you've created here. <laughs> um, I, I want to thank you again for, uh, as a lifelong New Yorker, preying upon one of my worst fears and making it into cinematic, uh, uh, <laughs> just horror story. Um, can you talk to me? I mean, the scale of that, the extent of that, you know, iRobot was a huge film. This is a, a pretty big film itself. Um, do you thrive on that? Is that something that you enjoy most as a filmmaker? Is executing and performing on that on, on that level? Um, it, it's it's um, it's gratifying when you can when you finish the scene like that. But it's a, it's actually a pretty arduous experience getting it done. It's a, it's very uh, very time consuming and and it's it's hard, it's you know basically it's hard work. Um, so I like the result of what you can do. But I don't necessarily enjoy that exec the execution of it, the actual process. You know, it's much more fun just to work with actors talking. You know, that's always the best fun. You know, it's instantly gratifying to do that. I'm wondering in that sequence and certain other uh, sequences in the film, um, you know, the, the impulse of how far to go, how far to push an audience today. Do you have to sort of push an audience into, uh, you know, into greater, more horrific areas than maybe they than you would have 20 years ago? Do you feel that as a filmmaker, uh, an, an impulse and urge to kind of test limits of an audience, what they can take in terms of horror and thrill and thrills? Not, not really. Um, I mean, I think I like a really uh, visceral experience in films. I like strong emotions, whatever those emotions might be. Um, but I think it's you know it, it's it's just how, it's a balancing act really you don't you know you can't go too far with things sometimes um, well you can go too far with things sometimes I guess um, but to me it's like you know I think they've always been really strong films I mean I think The Exorcist is still as strong as it ever was you know um, can't imagine what that would have been like watching that in the seventies um, but uh, you know I, I just personally like those sorts of movies that really push emotions and they push me to unexpected um, types of emotions that I haven't really experienced before, you know. Without, uh, and I don't think this is ruining anything for an audience because there are several uh, key, key scenes in the film that they, they'll be talking about, but there's also an airline 
scene in this film. That it's a crash that's that's done in a way that I haven't seen before uh, in filmmaking. It's also done in, in virtually one shot. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct. Yeah, it is one shot. Yeah. Um, extended, keeps going on, and you're like, how are they doing this? How is he doing this? And it keeps going. Um, why why one shot? Is it that putting the audience in the in the uh, in the place of Nick Cage? In that yeah, scene? trying to put them in the reality of what's happening, you know, and and like one shot, uh, sort of elaborate one shot takes in movies are kind of can be quite tricksy and they sort of impress other filmmakers you know not necessarily the audience I don't think the audience really care most of the audience doesn't care anyway um, people who know about film technique do um, but I, in this instance I just wanted to make it feel really raw and like you were right in the thick of it and in fact a lot of people that I show the scene to who aren't filmmakers don't even realize because they're sort of confronted by what's happening and so they're more into that so it was just to make it feel like there were no tricks involved. There were a lot of tricks involved, but it, we tried to make it feel like there were no tricks involved. You know. um, well, I, I, I'm happy to open it up at, uh, to the answer if people have some questions. Yeah, why don't you go ahead? Um, the, the, uh, I shot the film in Melbourne, in Australia, and uh, we, built, uh, we built all that, this uh, subway, you know. And we made it specifically not a New York subway. It's, a, it's New York kind of fantasy land a little bit because I didn't want to have a specific place or landmark as such, you know, um, for, for many reasons. Um, so we created a stop that doesn't exist, basically, you know. Um, so um, uh, in terms of... Sorry, what was your, the next part of your question? I just forget very quickly. How long did it take? Um, that, I think that took about... From the moment he runs downstairs to when the final collision, like that, pretty much a whole slab, took probably about six days or something, I think, to shoot, you know. And uh, you just break it down into all of its components. And I must say, I did something quite unusual. This whole film, I, I'm, a, I'm a real believer in storyboarding things very carefully and have all my shot lists and I'm all very prepared when I turn up to the set. And with that particular scene, I just decided, and actually the whole film generally, I wanted to give it a more reality-based feel and I, I, I wanted to avoid like particularly tricksy camera angles and stuff. I mean, people say that it still's got, still has got that, but... I actually forced myself not to come up with a shot list. I actually knew that every day, because it, it's a very linear progression, I knew that Nick had to be in one carriage and I'd have the day to shoot that, and then they'd get to the next carriage, and I shot it completely in sequence and just basically made it up as I went along in terms of shots, um, just to give it a kind of a, a raw quality, you know. So that was quite an unusual way of working for me. Want to go right there, front row? Yeah, go ahead. Hi. You mean to keep to the schedule of the shoot? And then uh, so let me just repeat the question for the benefit of the re recording. Uh, so any pitfalls in the course of the shoot uh, to meet your deadlines? Uh, no, this one went very smoothly. I'm getting better at it now, I think. You know, I'm learning how to stay on schedule. Um, there was the, the train crash, that Josh, uh, the, the plane crash, sorry, that Josh was talking about before. Uh, that was the one moment where I thought we were going to go over schedule because uh, we... we uh, that was a really tough one to do, but we, we still got it done in the time that we had, so, yeah, so, no. Second row, yeah, go ahead. So the question is uh, whether special effects, the state of technology today can virtually do anything you want, essentially, today. Yeah, it's more or less, I mean, it's, it's getting pretty good, you know, and, and, you know, someone asked me a question today, which was, why aren't they perfect, you know, and why, why can you still sometimes tell it's a special effect, you know? And theoretically, you should be able to make it so that you can't, but, you know, films are what they are. They're, you know, they're a limited time and, and money, and you eventually run. They, you know, they, 
they pull a plug on you eventually. So not everything is going to be absolutely perfect. And, you know, on any movie, it doesn't matter how big the budget is, you know. But yeah, theoretically, you can get it to look, you know, these days pretty damn good. And it's just what I tried to do with this movie is not to make it feel like a special effect, to make it feel very real. Because I think as soon as you know that it's been made inside of a computer, um, uh, you, you sort of kind of disconnect a little bit. Oh, I do anyway. So I tried to make it feel like it was just a real photographed reality, you know. Any more questions? Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, the, I think um, it was a two thing. It was what, yeah. what directors have inspired you and what actors uh, would you like to work with? Um, di directors that I, I liked when I was, uh, I still like, you know, I think they're still pretty good. Uh, was uh, I like Kubrick very much and uh, Tarkovsky and uh, um, Hitchcock. So I'm trying to be a composite of all those three. And, uh, and, um, uh, actors, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of actors that I really like. I mean, Nick really was someone that I really very much wanted to work with. I've actually tried to work with him uh, on various occasions and uh, I think I'll be doing a lot more with him in the future because we really got along well. And, you know, I, I, I tend to... I'm, I've been very lucky, I've been very blessed with, that, with the actors that I've worked with because they, I've sort of enjoyed them as people as well, you know, and, uh, and so I just keep looking for those for those people that I'm going to get along with, you know. Could Nick be your Dracula? You're off to do an, a Dracula oh, film I don't next. know, maybe, yeah. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> it's, not up to, it's not up to just me, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, more questions. Uh, why don't we go to the back? So the question is about your process working with actors. Do you like a lot of rehearsal time or working just on the fly on the day, etc.? Uh, it's strange to say, but I like a combination of the two, which is I like a hell of a lot of rehearsal time, as much as I can get. And uh, on this, we had about two weeks. And sometimes it's hard to get it because the actors are coming off other movies and the studio sometimes doesn't want to pay for that time where they're just sitting in a room with you. But it's hugely important. And, and sometimes we don't even rehearse. What we do is we, um, we basically just talk a lot. We sit around a table and we just um, have a lot of coffee and talk and, uh, and, and just go through the, the logic of, the of each character, the logic of the whole story and kind of nut things out and I'll often change things in the script at that stage so that it all makes sense to all of us and we know exactly what we're doing and sometimes we're like you know we'll read the scene and then kind of discuss but mainly it's a discussion you know and and then I want to leave it as flexible as possible and on this film I pushed that even further because once we were we, we had a solid uh, backbone in that respect and everyone was really clear intellectually on what we were doing then I wanted to leave it up to chance to a certain extent. And we got to the point where we weren't even rehearsing scenes. We'd actually just shoot them, you know. We'd turn up and set and you know, we'd have a rough idea that Nick was going to sit down on this line and walk over here just so the cameraman had some way of following him. But I encouraged, en encouraged us just to try one straight away, you know. And sometimes you got a, a level of reality out of that. Things weren't quite finessed and people were really responding to the other actor in a very natural way and sometimes people would stumble or do something with their words or whatever that really kind of added to the to the to make it feel natural like the way people really do speak in real life you know and so i really enjoyed that process and i'm going to probably push it even further next time around you know okay. uh, back there so I, I got the first part so the, the movement from film to digital what were the pros and cons what was yeah. the biggest advantage and disadvantage I actually didn't and will it affect the content of my movies in the future digital affect the content and and yes it will um, 
uh, I think it's the technology inevitably affects how you approach a subject and therefore what you can actually do with that story, you know. And um, the, for me, the advantages of digital and why I'm such a convert is that I really believe in simplifying the process of making films. So anything that allows me to do that. I, I you know, it's funny because I like really big events in movies and complicated technical stuff, but I get, I'm very impatient with it to a certain extent. And I think any way of getting to it more quickly is a great thing. I mean, that's why I embraced, um, you know, cutting on Avid and, 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 you know, all that sort of non-linear editing very quickly because it just was so much easier way to work, you know. I mean, there's a difference between typing on a typewriter and, you know, working on a document on, 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 on a computer, you know. And I see the same progress with digital photography, you know. It means you can work with fewer lights, you can use more natural lighting, there's fewer, there's fewer things on the set that say to the actors, we're making a movie, and, and, and let just less crap everywhere, basically. And I think that's really important, because it, it allows you just to focus on what you're doing, and that's, that's the key, really, you know. So as that frees us up even more, then inevitably it's going to affect the sort of stories that we're able to tell, you know. So I think it's a great thing. Back row, please. So I don't know that I'm, I'm doing it yet. That's the thing. I'm not quite sure. I'm only doing it because they let me do it after every movie and sometimes they don't, you know. So it's a, it's a really funny career being a film director because, you, you know, you're only as good as your last movie. You know that expression and it, it's really true, you know. It's, uh, it's like you've got you've to make the money people happy every time and if you don't, then, you know, it's harder to make your next, your next movie. But... I started making films when I was 10 years old, you know, on a Super 8 camera. And so I've, I've always wanted to do this. I, I just don't know how to do anything else, unfortunately. I wish I did. Probably be handy in the, in the, in the downtime between films, you know. Uh, yeah, go ahead, please. So the question is about uh, whether you're aware of kind of user-generated content in terms of movie making, uh, YouTube phenomenon, etc., and advice for aspiring filmmakers in that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this for a while now, so I've seen this incredible progression from, you know, shooting on the Super 8 camera and actually physically splicing the film together and then not, not really having a soundtrack and, like, playing. I'd play music off a, off a LP while I was showing my film to friends for a soundtrack, you know. Um, so the fact that now you can you have this amazing these amazing resources that professional people once only had and anyone can do it is is extraordinary you know and, and 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 YouTube I mean I watch YouTube all the time I think it's a great thing you know it's like it's it's quite addictive the stuff you can find on there and it's and I think this sort of change of of mentality where you can actually go I really want to watch this now and you type it in and there it is is really the you know it's the the world we live in it's the way that things are going you know but it's um in terms of improving the quality i mean i think that's just going to happen tech you know technology is moving forward so quickly i mean I've, I've just bought myself a little sony uh hd camera that's you know smaller than this mic it's like a size of a cigarette packet you know and i can put two and two and a half hours of hd on this thing and that's like that is mind-boggling to me you know um, I mean, I just I did a test screening of this film where we we showed it at, uh, on on about HD quality on a on a screen in front of 400 people, and it looked just fine. No one, everyone assumed that was a finished movie, you know, and it was just the output out of the Avid. Um, 
So it's, it really is, it's all coming very quickly and it's a, it's a great thing because it just makes it, you know, movies are too expensive to make and, and it's to everyone's benefit, not just the up and comers and people starting off, but to the professionals as well, that the budgets can be contained so that we get more freedom, you know, because there's a direct correlation between, you know, the bigger your budget is, the, the more you're going to have the people breathing down your neck and wanting you to do things in a certain way. So it's a great thing, I think, all around, you know. Front row. So, so the question is, uh, you know, on the Kubrick scale, how meticulous are you? How many takes? That kind of a thing. Uh, and uh, I think also in digital, how much coverage are you now using? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no one could be could match Kubrick for number of takes. I think he's certainly set the be benchmark. And I think if I if I tried, they'd probably fire me the next day, and they'd have some other director come in. You know. And, and nor do I really want to, even if I had that luxury. Um, and, and what I tried to do with this film, as I was just saying before, and it's not the same on every film I do, but on this one in particular, I tried to get this immediacy. So I was actually trying to do as few takes as possible. We shot this film very quickly. I shot it in three months, you know, all, all up, which is pretty fast for me. The one I did before took six months to shoot. So I just tried to make it really like, you know, raw and kind of immediate and I felt like the more takes we did we just kind of finesse it too much and I like the sort of s some of the rawness that came out of that approach you know um, but um, that's that's my approach for this something you know it could be different on the next one I don't know it's just what, what I wanted to do on this one you know. cool uh, back row question is uh, how much time are you saving now shooting in digital as opposed to film um, it did save us some time you know and uh, Probably not as much as I thought it was going to, uh, but the fact that you can kind of just keep going uh, is a really good thing, you know. And um, uh, you know, we had a few. I have to say, with the red camera, as 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 much of a convert as I am, there were some teething problems with it, you know. I mean, because we were one of the first movies to use it on a on a big scale, and so there was a lot of stuff to sort out, like how much. You know, the batteries would, like, go down very quickly and then to reboot the cameras would take a really long time. So, in a way, all the time I thought I was going to save by not having to change mags of film was kind of compensated for by the battery situations and a few other little issues here and there. But, you know, look, there's something about... if You can, you can sit on the set and look at a high-res monitor and I've spent years looking at a little fuzzy, you know kind of barely coloured monitor coming from the split through the viewfinder, the, the tap, it's, it's, it does save a lot of time because you can see exactly what you're going to get and what people are going to be presented with eventually, you know. And, and sorry, just to go back to your question, because I realise you asked about coverage, is um, you could... I, my, I mean, my approach to this film was very simple in terms of its coverage and I wanted it to be very un... I mean, you can't tell from that scene you just saw because it's just it's one of the action sequences and it's got a lot of cuts in it. But most of the other stuff was very pure and very simple in its photography. And I would have done that whether it was film or digital. You know, I wanted the actors to do their stuff and not sort of see 20,000 angles of them doing it, you know. I have a quick question. Um, you know, it seems like this is a, a golden age in, in a sense for filmmakers like you and fans like me where genre properties are getting the budgets they deserve, the filmmakers they deserve. Um, Crow obviously had, had a uh, comic book influence. How much have comic books and graphic novels of that sort influenced your work? Are you a, a devourer of that kind of work? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a big comic book fan and a science fiction fan and, uh, 
I mean, I, I guess I'm more the science fiction guy because I read a lot of science fiction when I was a kid and wanted to make those stories into... I was making the movies in my head already, you know. And um, so that's kind of where I'm at. But, I mean, I do very much like comic comics as well. I think my generation of filmmakers, a lot of them have come through music videos as well. I mean, that's the other very big influence in Hollywood movies right now. Um, you know, com music videos and commercials. And I, I know a lot of us were making those... Uh, you know, through the like 80s and 90s because, and we all really wanted to make movies, but that's all they'd let us make, you know. And, and we learned a lot of really good techniques, I think, through that process. And that's definitely had a major impact on the way movies are shot and framed and cut and all that stuff, you know. So I think it's all, it's all sort of coming to a head now. Do you have a desire as many uh, cutting edge filmmakers seem to be trying out 3D, IMAX? that intrigue you as a, an opportunity? Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, I haven't had the chance to do that, but I think, uh, sure, there's always, uh, it's always fun to try a new, a new toy, for sure. You know. Performance capture, you know, the, the Zemeckis route of... Uh, uh, I, that, 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 that I'm not too confident in at the moment. I just feel that... Because um, it's, as I was saying before about visual effects, is there are a lot of hard work. They're really, really, they're very time-consuming to do, and... I still like the immediacy of being on a film set with real actors and, and not having to like, you know, let, let them run with the ball a little bit rather than having to analyse every tiny little nuance of is there a bit of light on someone's nose which doesn't look real or whatever the hell you get into in that world, you know. And I, I'm still remaining to be convinced that CG uh, characters in movies are as, invite, as, as in, involving as real people are. I mean, maybe we'll get there one day, but right now I'm still not convinced. Yeah, the know? last thing you want is the, the effects to drain the life out of the film and just That's create right, some yeah. kind of inert uh, crea uh, creation. Um, are there, you, you talked about Kubrick back in the day and some others, are there filmmakers today that excite you, that kind of inspire you and, and uh, have you jazzed about sort of the work they're doing? Um, uh, yeah, there are. There are, you know. I think there's a lot of very clever people out there. But, you know... I try not to, you know, there's a danger of falling into traps of kind of, I'm usually reacting against things because I want to do something that's different, you know. So to have too much, I've had, I have more kind of like, um, kind of jealousy about certain filmmakers that I think are really good out there rather than admiration because, uh, I mean, I think David Finch is a genius. I think he's a, a, a wonderful filmmaker and he's a, he's a friend. I know, I know him really well, but I kind of resent him, you know, so. <laughs> He's a jerk. <laughs> what, We've got time. We have time for about two more questions. Yeah, let's see. Anyone else out in the audience? Yeah. Uh, well, you did already. Did you? Why don't you go ahead? The question is, uh, what will separate knowing from other films that have dealt with some of these themes about predestination, destiny, etc.? Well, I, I think you have to judge when you see the film. What I can say is that knowing is a very unusual beast, you know, and that's what I'm proud of. I think it's a really different experience, you know, and that's what we headed off, headed headed out trying to make and I'm very proud of it in that respect because it really does, I think it takes you into a new, a new territory, I hope it does, That's, that was the intention, you know, so I think you might see some similarities with some of the stuff I've done and maybe other things I don't know but I hope it takes you on this really unexpected ride, you know. Anyone that hasn't asked one yet to anyone? Okay, you want to, sorry, do you want another one? So. 
the question is, what is your dream project? What, you know, given carte blanche, what's the one you want to make? Um, it sounds silly, but it, every single thing I do is that because it's, that's what I really want to make it. I mean, I really stuck with this project for a couple of years. It wasn't a, a, a sort of a no-brainer to get made because it has some pretty challenging uh, aspects to it. Uh, you'll, you'll know when you see the film. Um, it's stuff that I don't really want to give away because it's kind of part of the surprise of the movie. Um, but, um, I, you know, everything I do, I mean, I, you, you take so long to make a film and it's incredibly, uh, sometimes incredibly difficult. It's, it's, it's hard work and you really have to be passionate about each project you do. And if I'm not, I can't make that film. I can't, I can't possibly take on a script that someone's written that's some brainless thing to just do it, you know, because I, I just really feel like it's got to mean something to you as a person when, you, when you're making it. So it's not, I'm not being flippant, but I really mean that every, everything I do, I, I really, you know, put a lot into, basically. Yeah. Well, you're a filmmaker that always does bring something unique and compelling to every project, and knowing, I guarantee, is no exception. So uh, we see it March 20th, and uh, let's thank Alex Preuss for his time tonight. Thanks, guys. Nice, nice talking to you. Thanks, Rick.